um, how, very high level how it works is we basically will help a renter to help them get qualified to assess their eligibility and buying power. Um, assuming everything checks the boxes, they will be actually paired out with local real estate agents to find the home they like. Once the home is chosen, we will buy it upfront and they will just rent it from us um, on a two to three year term until they're market ready, they can buy back the home. So that's kind of a, like a short summary about how it works with our rent zone program. Um, I think it's a great uh, alternative path for people who currently basically have no other options. If you think about it, if you if you can't get a mortgage, if you can't get a mortgage, the only way is to rent, except that there's a shortage of single family homes for rent. And uh, now we can actually potentially bridge that gap and uh, serve that uh, underserved market. Hey, Amy. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Ravi. Thanks for having me here. You told me before the show that uh, um, your partner is a podcast enthusiast, and that's why you're here set up with like, a, a beautiful mic and you sounded so crisp. Uh, but this is your first time being on a podcast. Uh, are you, are you, do you listen to a lot of podcasts yourself? Yes, I do listen to a lot of them. But yes, this is my first time actually being in the podcast as a guest. Cool. Uh, what, kind, what kind of podcast do you listen to? Um, like, uh, how I built this. Yeah, <laughs> I think I everyone that. listens to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Guy Rise yeah. did a really great job with that. And, you know, starting, you know, starting with that. So you, you know, as, as a founder, um, you're taking on a really interesting challenge being, especially in, um, the Toronto region, uh, Requity Homes. Can you, what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so Requity Homes, what we do is we offer a modernized rent-to-own program to aspiring home buyers who are not mortgage-ready. Um, our mission is to leverage alternative data to actually create a fair and flexible alternative path to home ownership for those people who are not mortgage-ready today but have high likelihood of getting a mortgage in the next uh, two to three years. Next two to three years. So I, I think this is so spectacularly timed because the market has shifted so drastically in the last few years. Uh, who knew a pandemic would throw us into like a financial windfall? Um, everyone's buying houses. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> everyone's buying houses, but no one can afford them. Um, the yeah. mortgage requirements are insane, and yet the housing prices are through the roof. So what is happening right now in Toronto real estate and the world real estate? Yeah, well, um, first of all, you're absolutely right. The pandemic had a, I would say, surprisingly, you know, unexpected impact on the housing market. It was like a roller coaster ride because initially the housing activity basically um, paused and there was no showing activity initially. And then later on, it just went over the roof. Um, that's what happened not only in Toronto, but pretty much throughout the entire country in Canada and in a lot of the other parts internationally. Uh, one thing I do want to kind of... Um, um, point out or clarify is for us, our go-to market right now is actually Northern Ontario, like Thunder Bay, Susan Marie, Sudbury, and North Bay. That's, that's even more interesting because this is a, a theme that we actually cover in the podcast. It's like our need as Canadians to go north, right? Because <laughs> um, we have so much land. Like we're so empty as a country, right? Um, there, there was a great episode we did where uh, we actually talked about this, like we're most of Canada's population is all near the U.S. border, right? And everyone thinks it's because of economic reasons we want to trade the states. But it was because the U.S. was our enemy at one point, And we wanted <laughs> to keep our population close to the U.S. just in case of an invasion. So we right. never actually settled uh, further up north because we wanted to stay close to the border. 
Um, and now I think there's a huge drive for this, mostly because of um, you know what's happened to real estate, to Canadian, uh, Canadian real estate. So, you know, can you tell us what's going on in the northern pro- uh, area of Toronto, uh, Ontario? Yeah. So what's happening in those areas is, um, um, first of all, the rental the rental rates as a percentage of the home price is pretty high. So what uh, what what's happening right, uh, right now is a lot of people are paying rent consistently, and that rent payment is actually much higher than the cost of owning a home. And for us, like you know, clearly those people can't afford a home from a cash flow perspective. But reality is they cannot qualify for mortgages for different reasons, like being self-employed, have a fair credit score, lack of twenty percent down payment, or just simply being a newcomer having had a chance to build up their Canadian credit history. And that's where we think you know um, those target demographics will be the early adopters for our uh, for our rent-to-own offering. Okay, so yeah. You know, um, you know, talking about themes and, and the podcast. So, uh, one of the ideas I, uh, I frequently uh, refer to is Scott Galloway, who talks about what's happening right now financially. It's uh, the great dispersion, where wealth is not being destroyed, uh, like in a recession or depression, but it's actually being transformed, and it's moving from you know the number one asset class in the world, uh, commercial real estate into number two uh, asset class in the world, residential real estate. And part of that uh, subset of residential real, real estate now is like is rural, uh, is rural communities and uh, just land, right? My, yeah. my, where, where, you know, traditionally money has always wanted to go and park, right? Like you buy some la- a large part of land uh, and, and a house, you kind of retire there and you pass it on to your kids and eventually becomes a value. But now that cycle has gotten uh, much faster. So with Northern uh, Ontario, like this, um, this interest for people to go and, you know, purchase in like Northern Ontario or like the prairies or even the Atlantic regions is seeing, uh, seeing a boom as well in, in, in a lot of their rural yeah. communities. Uh, what does that mean for people living on the ground? Is it good for them? Is their community getting invested into? Um, or is it like a, a resource being drained out of that community? What, do, um, do you know? Um, I mean, it's always good to have more capital mm. flow into those northern Ontario or, you know, the um, like more like secondary cities per se, because the more capital you have there, it will have a positive impact on the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, you know, from our perspective, we also want to make sure, you know, um, there is a pro- like alignment um, from the institutional investors and also the end users, especially when it comes to homes. Because at the end of the day, uh, um, yes, it's a great way to accumulate wealth. But at the same time, we also want to make sure the end users, i.e. people who actually want to own a home or living a home, they can eventually transition from renting to owning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's where our program comes in. We can potentially align the institutional real estate investors' interest with uh, with those end users, i.e. renters right now. And then, you know, those institutional investors can buy the home of renter's choice up front. Um, and then those uh, renters can at least live in their dream home today and with that option to buy back later when they are mortgage ready. Mm-hmm. Do you know more about uh, what these properties um, look like or function? Because in the northern, uh, you know, I think about seventy percent of Canada lives uh, is is on top of the Canadian Shield, right, which is bedrock. Mm -hmm. So a lot of homes in the areas don't have basements. They don't. They can't go sub basement. They're literally like you know built on ground. They're sitting on top of blocks. And, um, you know, so it's very different from like the housing style that we're used to in, in Toronto mm-hmm. and in the bigger yeah. cities, right? So w- yeah. what do these kind of homes look like? Uh, you know, what, uh, and are there any changes in, uh, you know, how they're being constructed? Is, is there new construction uh, coming into those areas or is it like, yeah. um, you know, people just repurchasing assets that already exist? Yeah, so great question. Um, right now in those markets, um, generally there are very few, like, 
development uh, de- new developments. Uh, not like Toronto, you mm. see those uh, you know cranes everywhere. You see the new developments every single parking lot you can think of in downtown mm-hmm. Toronto. It's are either currently being developed or will be developed. Um, on the uh, you know on, in North Ontario, it's actually quite the opposite. There are very few new development opportunities there. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the home, uh, part of that also says the existing home inventory there. It's tend to be much like older homes, usually. 50 years old, was built in 1950s. And, and for, for us, we have bought um, several homes already. Um, you know, some of those homes have basements, some of them are more like a bungalow or, or um, you know, without the basement. Um, it's, uh, it's generally speaking, it's much older inventory. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also for us right now, we're focused on the city limit. Like we don't really go to rural areas. Like we're focused on the city of Sault Marie, city of Sudbury, city of Thunder Bay, and city of North Bay. Wow. So that's quite a geographic region, actually, right? So that, that yes. covers quite a spread. I mean, one of my favorite th- yes. uh, favorite um, uh, towns or cities, if you will, that I always want to go to for some reason is Thunder Bay. Uh, as a, no way. Because as a kid, uh, we, I used to play this game in school. They, made, uh, they gave us this game to play, which is, which is you know, playing a video game in school, was uh, cross-country Canada, where you're pretty much trucking across Canada and delivering goods to like different uh, cities and stuff. It was a, it's a way to like, uh, for kids to discover geography or something like that. Right. And Thunder Bay just seems so far away. And like, you can see like Ontario, we live in this province, but we're like in this tiny little bucket where all the lights are and this huge spread and Thunder Bay is on all the, all the other side of that. Like, how could that, you know, how did that, how does the person like, what do they do? You know, what does it look like? So, yeah, yeah. Uh- yeah, have you been up yeah. there? Like, have you been to uh, these areas? Uh, definitely. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So as an early stage founder, you got to know your market, yeah. right? So uh, um, actually, just uh, a month or two months ago, I went to Thunder Bay, absolutely enjoyed my trip there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to develop a, you know, good relationship with local partners, but at the same time, you know, um, check out the natural beauty mm-hmm. on the weekends, you know, Sleeping Giant, Provincial Park. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of, uh, you know, nat- like uh, natural activities. If you're into hiking, fishing, even, you know, canoeing or uh, those type of stuff, kayaking in there. So I definitely recommend, if you've never been to Thunder Bay, it's definitely worth a trip. Cool. How, can you talk, uh, talk to us about uh, the trip to Thunder Bay? I think it's like 18-hour drive, right? Well, yes. If you do, yes. If you drive, it's going to be a long drive. Better find a partner where you can alternate and uh, trying to find maybe Susan Marie as a middle stop. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I was lucky in a sense there's a cheap airline and they have those, uh, you know, promotion. Uh, they just recently uh, launched the, the, the expansion to Thunder Bay. So I was able to get a $100 uh, ticket for a round trip. Wow. Yeah. So uh, like the, this trip to Thunder Bay has been described um, as like you can actually drive across Europe twice, like from Lisbon, uh, Portugal, all the way to, uh, to the to the uh, to the west, and then uh, sorry, the east, and then coming all the way back. Uh, you can do that twice in the time it takes from driving from Toronto to Thunder Bay, and part of the reason is because there's no direct route. You're gonna go around all these lakes, uh, but it's also like it's like only like one main road to, to get there, right? How is yeah, the, how's the yeah. view driving there? Do you end up driving through Ontario, uh, or do you end up going to the states? Well, because I took the fly, right? Oh, That's yeah. I said, oh, yeah, because it's a $100, like, fly ticket, so I didn't you really get a chance to actually? drive. Yeah, $100 for a round trip, yes. From wait, <laughs> No, I would, yeah, from Toronto Pearson to Thunder Bay Airport. It's only $100? Yeah. 
It is a hundred dollars. It's a cheap airline, and I don't want to disclose the name because uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not like. But yeah, they 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 have pretty good, uh, but uh, good offering to fly to Thunder Bay from Toronto. Uh, that being said, I do had experience driving to Susan Marie, mm-hmm. uh, which is about halfway, kind of like seven to eight hours drive. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> I did it in the winter, so it was uh, it was quite challenging, especially if the weather is not the nicest. You have the like, hailing, you know, snowing. It get really really slippery, so you gotta be very careful. Yeah, um, one of my friends who's also a founder, uh, he was in Alberta uh, for a funeral, and he had to he drove his his father's truck. From Alberta back to Toronto, uh, it was. It took him like almost a, almost half a week, and he described it as one of like the greatest like sceneries, you know, dri- being able to drive through um, through these provinces. Um, and one of the things that I always want to do is, is take a trip like across Canada and being able to see it, especially yes. as an immigrant, being like, "Yo, there's so much of this country you haven't seen. You, you know, there's a good yeah. drive for it, right?" Yeah. And uh, yeah. You know, talking about these communities, this area and all, all these tiny communities, is there anything, uh, any specialities about them that you can uh, mention offhand? Uh, I know you talked about the Provincial Park in Thunder Bay. That's really cool. Yeah. Anything else? Uh- um, it's just like a just very different vibe mm. than like city of Toronto, city of Vancouver, right? Like I've been to all the four cities and people there are super nice. Um, for example, when I, when I first landed in Thunder Bay, uh, we rented a car and we took a taxi um, to the city to rent the car accidentally. I actually left my phone in the, in the taxi. And, uh, and when, when I realized that the taxi was already driving, you know, away and uh, the pat like a stranger I just met, I, I don't even know her. And the moment I said, oh, stop. Off, I needed my phone. She was running, you know, after the taxi. She's like, I feel like she was running like a hundred meters or something, and then she was able to get my phone back. And just people there are super nice, a totally different community vibe. People know each other. Everyone wants to help. It's uh, yeah, it's just it's just very different kind of a community feeling, mm-hmm. and then a big city like Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So one of the um, not the rebuttals, but one of the concerns has been. been and that, like, there's a lot of people who work remotely that would love to work in these remote uh, remote areas, just live and work there and enjoy that kind of like easy small town lifestyle while doing like you know big engaging work through the internet. But one of the problems is uh, internet is very bad in in, in a lot of the areas in a lot of the rural communities, and I, I think Canada is investing quite a bit on rural uh, internet connections and getting it uh, caught up, right? But these major uh, hubs must uh, must have some great connections. How is it there? Like, can you live? Can you live and work there? Um, I think so. Um, but again, because I live in the hotel, so my experience may not be the most representative mm-hmm. in a sense. The hotel, the Wi-Fi in hotel is not the most reliable. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I was able to you know work there, no problem at all. Um, I think generally, if you stay within the city limit, they have very good infra- infrastructure in place. Um, you know, from the phone reception and internet, Wi-Fi, so there shouldn't be any issues. And uh, yeah, and given COVID, I think it's the best time to you know work remotely but at the same time you know enjoy the the beauties as you said the the canadian landscape you know uh, the canada uh, offers to us absolutely um so you know going back to these communities and um you know what, what's happening there like are there with with like either a lot of remote workers going from the cities and, and living and working out of there is there bringing life to the these remote communities or is it more like people who live in these communities are like, why are all these people just flooding in there? Like, is there animosity or do you feel like there is a sense of like, this is welcomed? Um, 
I th- so first of all, um, you know, among the four cities we operate, North Bay is definitely the closest to the city of Toronto. Mm-hmm. So North Bay probably has seen more influx of people from, you know, GTA than than Thunder Bay per se, as you said, because it's way too far. And for people who have the job or empl- employment in Toronto, they know at some point the office is going to open, so they don't want to stay too far. Versus North Bay, it's about three and a half hours drive away, mm-hmm. right? Um, in terms like for us, like giving our business model, we're trying to help people, you know, from transition from renting to owning. Our target demographics are actually our local residents, not like people relocating oh, okay. to those areas. Um, for those local residents, generally they um, they have been like uh, stocking renting for a long time. As a lot of times they are stocking apartments or even townhouses with like uh, and the family have outgrown, you know, the current space. The challenge is, you know, there are not enough um, single-family homes for rent in those markets. Mm. So um, I, I probably talked to over 500, you know, renters over the past 12 months. And the number one kind of thing I heard um, again and again is they've been in the market looking for a rental place for six months, nine months. They just can't find anything. Mm. So it's... Uh, it's uh, you know it's uh, it's it's definitely there is a supply constraint issue and uh, and uh, you know hopefully as we grow we want to solve that issue by partnering up with local developers um, as you mentioned you know potentially increase the supply in those markets um, in addition to just buying you know existing homes converting them for from for sale homes to for rental inventory hmm. yeah okay so I mean, let's talk a little bit more about the platform, right? Um, how do people engage with you, and um, uh, you know, what 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 is the what is the offering here uh, that differentiated? Yeah, so um, people generally they reach out to us through you know like Facebook or KGG, you know, all those different kind of channels. They found out, you know, what even though I'm not ready for a mortgage, but there's actually new way to help me get a transition from renting to owning through this modernized kind of rent to own program. Um, how, very high level how it works is we basically will help a renter to help them get qualified to assess their eligibility and buying power. Um, assuming everything checks the boxes, they will be actually paired out with local real estate agents to find the home they like. Once the home is chosen, we will buy it up front and they will just rent it from us um, on a two to three year term until they're mortgage ready, they can buy back the home. So that's kind of a, like a short summary about how it works with our rent zone program. Um, I think it's a great uh, alternative path for people who currently basically have no other options. If you think about it, if you if you can't get a mortgage if you can't get a mortgage, the only way is to rent, except that there's a shortage of single family homes for rent. And uh, now we can actually potentially bridge that gap and uh, serve that uh, underserved market. So, yeah, and it's such an interesting problem, right? Because, um, you know, growing up in the city, uh, growing up in the suburbs, it's like housing was not like a, a concern like that. Like, you know, you can always downsize, upsize, there's always inventory, uh, there's always new developments coming up. You know, it always seems yeah. like, yeah, things are always changing and moving. And uh, I think that's one of the alienation aspects of being like in a small community where like nothing's really happening or like it's very slow, slow, slow uh, bark of progress. But... You know, now that, um, you know, through uh, these kind of systems, people are, are able to more engage with uh, real estate and properties and like that. I think a natural progression is people are going to find ways to park the money elsewhere and, and, and move up north. Right. Yeah. Would you move up north? Would you permanently live up there or would you, uh, you know, have like a summer house? Like how would how would you personally consume um, like uh, rural property? Yeah, I I think I like I don't mind having a cottage or like a summer house in those areas. Um I just personally don't I 
like <laughs> I live in a condo, okay. Mm. So I, I I don't even know if I can handle the logistic hassle of maintaining a house. Mm. When you're thinking about the roof, you're thinking about the the backyard, the mall. Maybe maybe just like you know where I am with my current life, and uh, you know as I grow older, maybe I want to have families. Uh, it will change my preferences. It just for now, I'm more like a condo city type of uh, yep. <laughs> uh, person than the you know housing a rural property. But that being said, it's uh, um, you know I know a lot of my friends uh, and uh, families there are the opposite, mm-hmm. and I, I think at the end of the day, it just comes to it comes down to personal preference. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. speaking of that, you know, being in uh, being a condo, uh, living in a condo, and enjoying the, the lifestyle, uh, why work in uh, an industry, or why try to serve a community of, uh, in, in the rural areas? What brought you to this yeah. point? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So, give you a little bit of background um, about myself, because that probably helps uh, in terms of uh, why I, you know, focus on that. Um, generally speaking, you know, uh, when I started Equity Homes in February 2020, at the start of the pandemic, and um, at the time, um, we were trying to, you know, help young professionals in the Toronto city of Toronto, um, especially, you know, in the condo kind of asset class, to help them become homeowners. As you can, as you can imagine, when the COVID happened, the condo markets in Toronto got hit the most. So as any startups, you gotta you gotta pivot, right? <laughs> when things change, when the market environment is not is not really in your favor, you gotta figure out ways to make it work. So then I started doing a lot of pivoting in terms of uh, you know, expanding my geography because the Toronto condo market doesn't work anymore. No one wants to put in the money. If I can't find investors willing to buy the homes, my model is not gonna work. So then I started kind of expanding into the surrounding areas of um, of Toronto, like Oshawa, Hamilton, and I got some kind of an early traction in terms of people are looking for a solution like uh, uh, like ours to get into homeownership. Um, at that time, however, we also had some challenges in terms of, uh, you know, helping them find the right type of homes because they're very limited inventory. Because um, generally our customers, they're not looking for anything fancy. They're just looking for that starter home. And there are very few starter homes in those areas. Um, you know, as part of the our experiments, uh, we're trying to expanding to further away from city of Toronto and you know we did a lot of different testings literally like very scrappy way just putting things on KGG you know telling them hey you can rent on this home now if you wanted to and we got a lot of traction in North Bay North Ontario region at that time it's like okay you know what Maybe there's something here. And at the time, I didn't know why. And uh, after I talked to over 500 renters in those areas, everything started, like I started piecing, piecing things together. I was like, okay, that's why. Just because in those areas, people are paying rent that's much, much higher than the cost of owning a home. And there's a shortage of single family homes for rent. So they desperately mm-hmm. need a alternative way to potentially get into home ownership. And because of those two um, attributes, um, it actually makes those markets perfect for a product like ours. And uh, yeah, and that's how, how we actually eventually, you know, pivoted to, to offering the product uh, in those Northern Ontario region. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I mean, it's one thing to like, you know, have like a, a great idea. It's another thing to find an execution and a market for it, right? And, and delivering on it. Um, so let's talk about that. Like, you know, what's the, what's the journey been since, uh, uh, since the conception of this to the point where you are now? Uh, how did that look like? 
<laughs> wow, it's a roller coaster ride. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, just give you a little bit of background about myself. You know, prior to Equity Homes, so I've spent my entire career in the real estate. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually accountants, um, auditing real estate companies, and then got pretty, you know, pretty bored out of it and moved over to finance. I was actually working at RBC Capital Markets in their equity research group, covering the real estate sector for uh, over two years, and then and then transitioned to a product role at RBC Ventures, helping the bank execute a strategy in the prop tech space. Um, so through my experience there, I got pretty familiar with all those different models in the home ownership. And, and I'm sure, you know, housing affordability is a huge problem. And uh, home ownership is something really, really close to my heart because um, I'm an immigrant as well. I remember when I first came to Canada in 2010 um, as a, you know, international student to pursue my master's degree at University of Toronto. Um, I had actually to move seven years for the first two years in, in, in Canada. So to me, home ownership is actually, it means something, not just a place for you to stay, but there is this emotional aspect, you know, psychological feeling secure in the country. So um, after I got to know all the different models, I just realized, you know what, there has to be a better way to help people get into ownership, especially given how the housing price has trended over the past decade. And that's why I decided to quit my job at RBC to start Equity Homes. And, uh, and that was uh, February 2020. Of course, at the time, I was like, oh, it's perfect time just <laughs> to, you know, just start my own entrepreneurship journey without knowing that COVID was just around the corner, right? Um, the, and long story short, it was... Uh it was it wasn't easy mm. uh, uh, you know we pivoted a lot in terms of trying to figure out what's the right type of demographics from the persona customers we're trying to help out uh, figure out the geographies that actually make our product work and figure out what kind of asset class is the condos is the you know single family homes so it was a lot a lot of learning along the way and uh, I think the Probably the most difficult is always getting that the first transaction, the first paying customer. Because um, initially, I give myself a go. I say, you know what, I'm gonna get at least get my first transaction done, first customer by the end of December 2020. If not, maybe you know you gotta take a reality check. Am I solving a real problem? Is this something people are actually looking for? And the reality is, I wasn't able to get my first transaction until February 2021. Hmm. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's, that's quite a journey. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the pandemic, especially hitting right when you were starting, that's uh, that's terrifying. Right. Yeah. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Like, you know, how was it when you know, I, I remember being that like I remember watching Justin Trudeau come on, uh, come on air and talk about a nationwide pandemic response being uh, declared and everything kind of shutting down and everything just became quiet. Uh, the city of Toronto was like emptied out you know like uh, especially yeah. downtown was quiet uh for the yeah. first time ever everyone explained like you know described it as an eerie experience um how was how was the beginning like as a founder starting this journey and boom this hitting like how was that i was i was i didn't know what to do honestly like that's i didn't know what to do because mm -hmm. uh as I mentioned, because I quit my job in January, and in February I kind of settled on the current idea of equity homes, and we even did a a, a like a like a, a website, like a landing page, trying to get people drive traffic there, and then all of a sudden in March. You know, like COVID happened, everyone stays at home and there was no showings, nothing at all. And no one was looking for homes because uh, it's not like the top of their mind at that time, right? There's just way more serious things. And I remember I was <laughs> I was like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Every day I wake up, I have no idea. I'm like, okay, um, should I, you know, should I still do the similar things or should I, you know, try some totally different ideas? Is there anything else I can, you know, how I can 
I can, you know, pivot to. To be honest, for the first three months, it was really, really hard. And、uh, the good thing is, you know, after pretty much like in May or June, and when the you know when the kind of activity started reopening a little bit, and the housing activity started like skyrocketing, right? And then the price just keeps going up, going up, going up. Then I realized, you know what, this could actually help、uh, help us grow in a sense that、uh, now there are actually benefits for the rental clients to lock in the future buyback price, you know, based on a conservative annual appreciation rate through. Our model, so it's、uh, you know, <laughs> in retrospect, everything worked out. But at the time, I had no idea what to do for the first three months. Wow, yeah, yeah. that's that's rough, and、uh, it, it's it's cool that、uh, you know you, you picked up this time and、uh, you know end up actually building the solution out. You know, you weren't deterred by it. A lot of people might be、uh, might be like, oh man, try to like backpedal and like, <laughs> I need to get a, some kind of stability in, and、uh, you know, you went through with that. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. No,、um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I said just yeah. Thank you. It was、uh, well. I, I mean, I wasn't thinking about going back. I was more thinking about pivoting. And of course, if at any point you know it's not going to work, then you just it's all it's hard. But you always have to pull the trigger. And luckily, I, I, I mean, haven't I? I don't have to do that yet. Yeah.、Uh, yeah. Someone you know, a mentor once beautifully described a, a startup uh, success only happens、uh, will happen.、Um, Depending on persistence, right? So, it's like, yeah, if it doesn't happen in three months, six months, a year, two years, ten years, this, you know, like there's companies that have been around, you know, for like years before they finally hit that kind of like product market fit or that growth level or that 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 thing that sets them off.、Uh, we're all、yeah. used to these kind of like quick. Uh, quick entries to the market that just raised like a hundred million dollars and just came out of nowhere and like just buying up everything, but like、uh, those are actually outside the norm. Like you know, behind the scenes, there's a lot of these founders who are just working on diligently on these problems, really trying to find the best kind of solutions. And、uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love working with、uh, incubators like Innovation Factory. You know, because、uh, you know, there's such a, a, a cumulative、um, mindset there of all these people who are just in it for the persistence, right?、Uh, yeah. There's something about being part of a community,、uh, you know, especially an accelerator program that、yeah. you know makes you persist more because you feel like you're part of something and someone's like giving you recognition that like、yeah. hey, you're on the good right track. So it helps you kind of、yeah. step up. You know, how's how's your experience been with、uh, Innovation Factory? Yeah, it's been amazing, and I'm part of their this year's、um, Lions Lair Pitch Competition finalists.、Mm-hmm. It's、uh, you know it's been amazing experience. Not like a typical pitch competition. It's usually a day or two day event. This is actually a several month long process、mm-hmm. where they have the. Resources, the webinar to educate founders about, you know, how to actually to do a pitch deck and what you what you should think about, how investors think, and it was yeah, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, one of the I think the beautiful、uh, aspects of the, of pitch competitions and and the pitch process for founders, you know, is not just that you get it ready for when you need to describe your company, being able to describe it in a short form, compact way, but you're actually taking like immense ideas, like you know, you have these kind of ideas, you kind of that. Exist and you're trying to condense it in a way that you can be actually conveyed, you know, in like a lingo that can be、um, understood and, and compacted, right?、Um, yeah. There's this great、uh, um, idea I heard. It's like you know the reason why they taught you、uh, how to write essays in, in, in school was not for you to condense your ideas, but for people who、uh, who you know read a lot of essays, trying to consume information. It's in a in a in a compact form that they can easily digest information. They know where to look for things. And a pitch, you know, one of the great things about a pitch is that for people who are looking for great ideas, that is the format. Now it's like you know these. 
seven minute pitches, these 12 minute pitches, you know, 60 seconds if you're, you know, you got a, got a quick uh, yeah. elevator meeting with somebody, right? Like these kind of formats are really ways to quickly convey like really deep, dense ideas. Um, how has it totally. been being like, you know, taking this like year long journey of like trying to build this company and condensing it into a, into a few minutes? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, I actually have old, like the, the older version of my decks from probably a, more than a year ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I look at my current version of the deck compared with, you know, the ones I had maybe in May, mm -hmm. they look very, very different. Because at the time, I was part of Startup Boost pre-accelerator program from like May to June, July. And then afterwards, I joined LaunchU Accelerator program in September. That was four-month program. And compared with now, it's like the, pit, the iterations of the pitch deck, I've I've gone through, it's amazing in a sense that every time you revise the pitch deck, you started thinking more about the business. Mm. You started thinking, okay, how should I phrase the problem? What is the real problem? How are we actually solving the problem? How is our product offering different than the competitors? So every time you're getting the feedback from different uh, stakeholders, every time you're trying to incorporate the feedback to the current version of the deck, it actually pushes you to think more about the business. Mm. And quite frankly, um, you know, in, even though we're still doing rent to them, but because we're kind of building a financial product in, at its core, and that financial product, the different features that financial product have definitely evolved over the past a year and a half as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's beautifully said. Absolutely right. Like the whole process of building a pitch kind of like can, uh, like forms your uh, your business better, right? Makes yeah. you think of it in a more yeah. concrete uh, concrete sense. Perfect. Um, yeah, so uh, the Lions Layer pitch competition is coming up soon, right? I think it's next week is yes. the, fi uh, the finalist. Yes, September 23rd. September 23rd. <laughs> it's coming up. Yeah, yeah. So this episode is probably going to air afterwards. So we, you know, we wish you the best of luck. Hopefully uh, we can get some good news <laughs> coming out of there. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, cool. So, Amy, what's, what's next for you? Like, what does uh, this product look like in, like, its perfect form in the future, right? Like, uh, uh, what does that vision mean for you? Yeah, so our mission is pretty simple, mm -hmm. but also, you know, not easy to achieve. However, that's what we sign up for. Our mission is to create a fair and flexible alternative path to help people, you know, get into home ownership. And in terms of this perfect world, we want to build that, um, you know, uh, a, a tech a tech platform for tenant underwriting, property underwriting to make sure we can actually buy thousands of homes and helping thousands of families get into home ownership every year. So that's kind of the ultimate goal. And uh, and uh, yeah, and, and uh, you know, to to give you some kind of a, a quantity or the the KPIs internally, where we're working towards, we definitely want to help uh, ten thousand uh, uh, rental households become homeowners in the next three to five years. Next three to five years is ten thousand. Wow, that's quite a, that's quite the jump. Um, I, how many are you servicing now? Is is are you in beta testing? What what, what um, level are you at? I mean, we're we're live in the in in the market in a sense like we we we're still doing a lot of things manual on the back end as we are um, currently building up the initial MVP. Mm -hmm. um, we have helped a handful of um, families get into ownership in those markets already, and uh, yeah, so um, you know we're we're looking to um, you know making sure our company is well capitalized. We're looking to get more real estate capital to buy more homes. So it would be very very exciting for us for the next twelve months. Cool. Um, so, uh, you know, let's talk about your, like these, these rural communities you want to serve, right? Is there any yeah. other markets that you're looking at? 
Uh, I mean, there will be, uh, like, for sure, like, we have expansion plans. And we, you know, once we establish uh, the playbook um, for success in those markets, we definitely want to replicate the success in other cities when we expand. Um, The general uh, plan is to expand into other cities um, in Ontario that's, like, a little bit closer to the city of Toronto. Um, And then afterwards, we're going to expand into um, other provinces, like Calgary, like Halifax, like uh, Nova Scotia. Um, They're still pretty big markets in Canada that actually may, um, that would need a product like ours. Mm-hmm. And our goal, you know, we always say, you know, I know sometimes people say, oh, you're trying to focus on Canadian market. Canada is small. But that being said, it's small relatively to U.S., but still big enough to build a meaningful business here. And for us, you know, even if we capture only 1% of the obtainable and serviceable market in Canada, we're talking about, we're talking about buying 6,000 homes totaling $2 billion per year. So it's still pretty you know, pretty impactful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. One of the things that I love about your website, it's like it's very, it's very beautiful. First of all, great job for a startup. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's established very well. But um, it's extremely right away. This is value prop, right? Um, uh, you rent, we buy, uh, and you, you know, you buy back later. Like you know, you, you have these like taglines that are, that are that are that are very straightforward, right? Can you talk about the the process of you know, uh, you know how you th- how you think of getting to ten thousand units? Right, because um, you know, uh, I know you spoke on the model earlier. But are you purchasing these properties and then renting them out back to the back, back to them? Uh, and if so, like, are you like how are you uh, comfortably going to allocate that capital? Like, you know, you know, like <laughs> the, the idea being like, are you comfortable? Like, you know, how does somebody get comfortable with the idea of like we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take over this uh, market? Like, we're gonna ha- handle all these assets. We're gonna handle all these. Um, you know this, this capital, like you know, as a mindset, how how do you put yourself into that uh, into that um, in the category? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So there are pretty much two parts, you know, uh, embedded there. First of all, you know, how we're buying the homes, right? Mm-hmm. Where do I get all the capital? Because, uh, you know, even in the markets, the North Ontario, we, we're uh, we're alive right now. The average home price we buy is around $200,000. But once you're talking about 10, 20 homes, still a lot of money. And uh, um, so... Quite frankly, uh, currently I'm actually leveraging individual investors in my network and namely in-laws at this point. Mm. <laughs> so they bought those homes uh, in their individual names and getting a 80% mortgage from, you know, the banks um, based on their income and their assets. And uh, for us, we're like a middleman facilitating the transaction for equity homes and charging a fee for doing that. So it's kind of one-on-one matching for, for the first few uh, handful transactions we did as a proof concept. Mm. Um, and as you can imagine, that kind of one-on-one matching is not really scalable. Um, our goal is to basically leverage technology and also the rent on mechanism to build that investment vehicle for institutional investors and family offices to access single-family home as asset class, which is not existing in Canada right now. So if you think about, yes, we're, we're, we're about, let's say we buy 6,000 homes, we're talking about, okay, we need $2 billion to buy them. And then you can use debt, you can use equity. Um, it is a big number, like don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I know there is strong appetite from the institutional investor perspective for the this particular asset class and for the expected returns we can potentially um, you know bring to the table. Um, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's all about you know go big or go home, mm-hmm. right? And it's not just one side's two billion dollar homes, but on the other side, six six thousand families getting into home ownership, right? So there's always uh, you know two way to to see it. And uh, yeah, I'm personally. I do think it's durable mm-hmm. and uh, it's a big ambition, but 
yes, it, it can be done. And I'm pretty, pretty confident. And I'm very much looking forward to that day. We can actually say, you know what, we we'll help 6,000 families get into homeownership. Yeah. yeah. You know, going into this kind of um, this equities market, if you will, right? Uh, what, uh, you know, uh, what, how do you consume knowledge in this market? You know, like how do you personally... Um, figure out the, the mind frames and the, and, the, and the frameworks you need to set up and operate and to expand. Um, how have you, what, what resources have you been using to learn? Yeah, well, um, so I do have the real estate background through my previous work experience. As I previously mentioned, too, I did work at RBC Capital Markets for two years, you know, um, in the equity research group covering the real estate sector. So um, I do know how institutional real estate investors think. I can talk their languages. I know how they evaluate different investment opportunities. So that definitely helped in terms of uh, figuring out the real estate, you know, the capital markets practice for our model, figuring out the ways to, you know, structure the funds to actually fund all the real estate um, kind of uh, transactions. Um, um, Other than that, I think there's still, that being said, there's still a lot of new things for me to learn every day. And uh, at the end of the day, you just got, you know, keep learning and leverage the network around me, like the experts, all those mentors. I was, uh, you know, I was, I basically was lucky to have over the past years, both from the technical perspective, from like technology perspective, building a, you know, a tech company to automate a lot of things, but also from the real estate perspective, how to think about, you know, um, actually, you know, setting ourselves, set ourselves um, um, for success when that scaling comes into place. Awesome. Um, I, I love that because, like, you, you're taking this step by step, and uh, you're framing that. You know, because the real question is, you know, how does somebody learn um, to build a two billion dollar real estate business? You know, like, and how do you operate that? Because, you know, one of the things that you, we're severely under uh, have an underappreciation to is finance and uh, understanding of finance because school does not teach us anything about that. <laughs> you know, you kind of learn about mortgages and real estate and like assets as like other as a mistake, as a consequence of growing up. You know, not as like yeah. a direct result of growing up. So it's like yeah. how do you, like you know uh, one of my things I, I'm 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 into this right now too. It's like you know how does finance really work? How does the world really work? What are the driving forces behind uh, consumerism? And you know how yeah. do you position yourself to win? You know what do you think is going to yeah. look like the next ten twenty years of real estate in in Canada? Um, yeah, is average house yeah. price going to become two million dollars, three million dollars in Toronto? Well, I mean, everything's possible. Like, I don't. No one has the crystal ball. And uh, I mean, from my per, like from my um, my personal perspective, I do think you know. At the end, if you think about the housing price prediction, it's always come down to supply and demand. Mm. The basic, uh, you know, economics one-on-one. And uh, given the immigration, you know, coming flu- uh, coming to the country and relatively limited uh, start like housing starts uh, in terms of the supply. So what that means is it will continue to have you know. Um, demand is going to continue to outpace the supply. And what that means is the housing price will continue to increase. And whether, you know, to what extent, what kind of percentage, no one knows. Um, but I do believe the percentage increase that we have seen the past one year do in, in the pan, during pandemic, I don't think that kind of growth is sustainable. Like at some point, it's going to decelerate 100%. And uh, yeah, and the other, you know, the other question you you have around finance, it's a uh, it's, you got to learn. Sometimes you learn it the hard way, right? Mm-hmm. You can try to learn everything by reading books, but at the same time, it's, uh, the best way to learn is actually 
real life. You, you know, you trying to put some money, you trying to invest it, you trying to figure out different ways to invest the money, you know, even small amount, $100, $200, whatever that may be. And then you started getting, you know, more and more um, familiar and get more comfortable in terms of investing the fun, investing money and figure out, uh, you know, the finance ecosystem. And uh, yeah, I always say the best way to learn is trying to, trying to, you know, trying to actually do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that because like it's experiential learning, right? Um, you're absolutely yeah. right. The best way to learn most things is to just kind of jump into it and, and do it for yourself. Um, yeah. You know, can you talk about about, about the, uh, the, uh, the reason for why people should do that? You know, should everyone have a real estate mindset? Like should everyone be looking into home ownership? Is there enough of a demand in the marketplace to have it for everyone to be a homeowner? Or do we need a market where like people are renting? Do we need a market where people actually don't know what's going on so they make foolish mistakes and companies profit off that you know what what does the future look like what does it need to be like what do you think yeah i think it really depends i like i honestly don't think like ownership is like it's like for everyone mm-hmm. it really comes down to you know your personal preferences and your your financial situation and uh, and what you value in life right uh for example you know the reason we're focusing on a specific target demographics that paying rent that's higher than the cost owning it just from a financial perspective we know it's better for them to actually own a home the reason is simply once you transition from renting to owning you pay way less so why not mm-hmm. plus you have this asset class that generally will appreciate long term and give you that wealth creation opportunity so for our target demographics i personally do believe home ownership is the best thing for them but that being said just in a broader audience um, perspective not necessarily if uh, you know if you're young professionals living in the urban city and you value you know the the flexibility you want to move around the globally you you or you're pretty you know savvy when it comes to investing the money and then maybe you don't need a real estate asset like you don't need to buy a home to actually generate wealth because there are so many different ways to invest as long as you're comfortable you know what you're doing and you're okay with the risk you're taking then there are a lot of different ways to achieve the same goal Amy, I love that. That, that was great advice. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, that's a perfect place to leave it at, right? Uh, people need to look more in, into uh, owning assets, uh, whether it be homes or other forms of assets. You need to, like, double, triple your uh, your your uh, income streams, if you will. Everyone needs yeah. to look into that. You know, you don't just have to live in a, living in a market economy. Uh, you have to buy things that uh, make bring you value. Um, yeah. And that mind frame is important. So, Amy, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. your knowledge. Yeah, well, my pleasure. Okay, perfect. Stick around. Um, and for everyone who uh, listened, thank you. Thank you, everyone.